0: Welcome back to the Meaning time Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts' favorite play of all time is corndog, because it has the word dog in it. That's Lenny. Michael Jr., the Kansas City Chiefs, are your Super Bowl 58 champions. They won because of corndog, uh, which um, is sort of that short, the, the fake motion that we saw in the, Eagle, the, the last Super Bowl against Philadelphia, used it at the very end with uh Nicole hardman another blast from the past in a way um what was your reaction to seeing that play win the game in overtime for kansas city and the fact that it was Nicole hardman uh
1: a lot of yelping i think i woke my neighbor up upstairs um the fact that andy reed of all people wins on a corndog redux seems like the most appropriate Ending to what was the least likely Mahomes Super Bowl team, I think in the now d- dynasty that we can officially call it, and uh, it also made me hungry because uh, we're recording this at night right after the Super Bowl.
0: I think we can officially call them a dynasty because with Super Bowl yeah. wins, they enter very. I think it's five teams of all time that have super five that have three or more Super Bowl wins. Um, obviously, most recently the New England Patriots. But and for that, the Cowboys, the Steelers dynasty, you, you guys know the drill. But um, yeah, I think it, all how we will remember this season, this game is Patrick Mahomes probably carrying the worst offense one would think he'll ever have. We uh, in the second half of this podcast are going to talk about the Chiefs moving forward, the 49ers moving forward as well. Um, but tonight we're going to start by, by talking about this game. At halftime, you and I were texting throughout. At halftime, I think the narrative or the story of the game was just the Niners' defense dominating Kansas City up front, uh, which was interesting because this is a Niners' defense that you know uh, had gotten a lot of criticism in the postseason. I, I was very critical of them. I didn't think they'd be able to stop the run um the times the pass rush wasn't as impressive as it's been in the past certainly given all the talent on the defensive line they had missed a bunch of tackles at you know key points in the playoffs as well but they really showed up and and i, and I want to say like start to finish they played well obviously the final drive the greatest quarterback did his thing but for the most part mike this was a, a very impressive game from that defense
1: They made Patrick Mahomes, in what you're absolutely correct in saying might be his masterpiece of this Super Bowl run, look incredibly ordinary in that first half. And we'll, I think, talk a lot about some of the Steve Wilkes decisions in the waning moments of this game in terms of critical third down calls there. because. In the first half, it was largely done off the backs of the 49ers' four-man rush. The much-maligned Chase Young kickstarts the party with the sack early in the game where he beats Donovan Smith clean. Nick uh, Nick Bosa and that whole D-line did such a great job, and it was highlighted on the broadcast, rushing with great lane integrity, making sure that they kept Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. And when he was forced out, it was at angles where even he couldn't make plays, especially given the way this 49ers secondary was playing. And so that group up front, Fred Warner flying all over the field, making plays. Plays at linebacker really had them looking like the group that 49ers fans saw for the most majority of the season and not the group they got for the last month and a half.
0: Yeah, I think you highlighted um, a lot of the things that impressed me. The uh, gap integrity, the fact that they were, you know, because they had been punished so much for being overly aggressive that front, not the case. And it wasn't just like Nick Bosa. I thought the whole defensive line, Hargrave Kinlaw had some big plays in this game was really impressive. I also suspect when we get the tape, uh, we will see very impressive coverage from the TV broadcast. It looked like guys were pretty covered up, uh, you know, in in the first half. Um, You did mention the Steve Wilkes blitzes, so Mahomes was five for six against the blitz in this game. Um, So he only blitzed him on twelve and a half percent of his dropbacks, but when he did, for the most part, I would say actually not for the most part because. Um, some of those completions were short of the sticks. So then that obviously is counted as five for six, but it was really that final um, third down. It was the third and six, the crosser to rice uh, that I think will get some scrutiny perhaps, especially in overtime, especially considering that the defensive line had been so dominant. What did you make of that decision? Do you think that the feeling was, they didn't think their four man rush was going to get it done that perhaps the blitz would also, keep Mahomes from escaping with his legs uh because it did leave rice open and he did it did spring him for a big game as well obviously the first down
1: Yeah. And and remember, there had been one prior to that where they snuck, uh, I think it was uh, Jarek McKinnon out of the backfield on a running back pass to the flat on another blitz look before that one. I forget if it was in the third or fourth quarter leading up to it, but I don't know if it's one of those where, you know, you see Spags having all this success with it over on the other side where he's throwing haymakers every third and fourth down the way he usually does. And and you're trying to return volley, or, you know, you mentioned the four man rush and them not being able to get home. There was a lot of chatter in terms of strategy at the end of the game, surrounding the legs of both teams in those waning moments, when you have those guys turning at loose time and time again, you wonder if the thought to your point was, hey, maybe these guys' legs aren't under them quite the same way. The burst isn't quite the same. And so we want to throw a few extra bodies there to see if we can get somebody to make the wrong decision inside, turn somebody loose. I'm sure Niners fans are probably going to want Col- holding on the running back there. I think Fred Warner got hooked a little bit, it looked like, potentially. But uh, blitzing one of the greatest quarterbacks against the Blitz of all time is is always going to draw you a little bit of scrutiny given the uh, caliber of player he is.
0: Yeah, I think um, the final drive... In overtime. So, just to recap, if, I don't know why you would be listening to this if you didn't watch the game. If <laughs> you're finding out what happened, uh, it was actually it was really interesting because we finally got to see the new overtime rules. Right where, mm-hmm. um it, which you know, so previously, as you guys, I'm sure know, if you scored on the first drive, you could uh, finish the game. The San Francisco for, but now with the new rules, the second team has a chance to possess. um Interesting debate over whether you should take it first or take it second. My preference would be to take it second because then you know whether you have to score. So you have all four downs and then you could potentially go for two to win, which I was actually terrified would happen, (laughs) but uh, it did not happen because the Niners ended up kicking a field goal on, on the first drive. Uh, And I want to get to that in a second when we talk more about the Niners offense and that, but I thought the game winning drive um, was just, which, you know, they scored, they did score a touchdown was like a pretty perfect encapsulation of this Chiefs season because, um, you know, there weren't explosive balls through the air. You had a Chiefs receiver, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, making a very, <laughs> uh, going backwards and losing several yards on a play. Uh, you had Patrick Mahomes probably making the biggest play of the game. Just, well, I, yeah, the touchdown throw was really nice. That was probably his best throw of the game, but um, using his legs for a 19-yard scramble that ultimately set up the touchdown we discussed which was the the return of corn dog. Um this I think is remarkable. So uh he scrambled for 66 yards which is the second most by a quarterback in Super Bowl history and he now has 172 rush yards total which is 67 more than any other quarterback. Most of those via scramble. I actually don't know um it looked like he ran zone read and you and I were like Patrick Mahomes ran zone read at one point during the game, Mitch Schwartz, uh, who the former chiefs offensive tackle tweeted at me, no, he's like, I think he just kept it (laughs) Um, because he just saw the look that he wanted. But uh, yeah, I, I I think what's so, you know, like I said, it was a perfect encapsulation of season because it wasn't explosive. It was just efficient taking what was available to him scrambling but the scrambling thing really jumps out to me because I just, as, a, as we think about this player, all of these Super Bowls, all of these performances, there have just been so many key scrambles. And, and it's funny because we just, that's not the part of his game that every, any of us ever emphasize, but there's no chance in L. He has all these Super Bowls if he doesn't use his legs the way he does. Uh, and so that's obviously what happened on that drive. And it's why they won.
1: I mean, think about the game ceiling play. I think it was, was it last year's AFC championship? They picked the Bengals and it was the uh, late hit by the linebacker out of bounds on a Mahomes scramble yeah. that put them in position to win to that game and go to the Super Bowl. It, it's, I, I thought about it a lot as I sat there on my couch with my heart beating out of my chest, how nervous we all were watching that game. And in the moment for this yeah. guy, you saw it on all the pivotal downs and distance and there are so many factors that come into play with that. One of them you mentioned, hey, where they ended up with the ball second. I saw our buddy Sam Schwartstein say information triumphed over that sudden death edge that you would have got in that third possession because at every spot Mahomes knew exactly what was available to him, exactly how many downs they were going to have because fourth down was going to be the go after the other team had scored. All of these things gave – one of the most clutch players in our lifetime, an excess of information, and they had mixed just enough of that thread in there all game. Like, there was a play earlier uh, in the game where – I think it might have been either the waiting moments of the first half or towards the end of the game where Mahomes tried to take off on a scramble up the middle, and it was down in the red zone with the clock running down. It was probably ill-advised because it ends up costing them time. That was the one where Romo was in the broadcast booth, imploring them to go up there and spike yeah. it potentially to try and save some time there. But it's I think Mahomes constantly displaying that thread of his legs that keeps that 49ers defense off balance enough to make that viable when the game goes on the line.
0: That's a great point about, yeah, how the, how would it – influences the way defenses play them miles garrett talked about that a little bit this week um he, he another thing he talked about by the way uh I, sorry i interviewed miles garrett for youtube you check it out youtube if you're here you're watching on youtube it's youtube.com slash times um another thing miles garrett talked about that i really thought was significant in this game because so so i interviewed him and I, I asked him about how the browns had played the niners well and one of the things we discussed was Mahomes' legs uh, and talking about the Super Bowl. And another thing he mentioned was when, when they played them. And, you know, it's a very different defense from the Chiefs, much more reliant on the four man rush. Obviously, Spag splits the hell out of Purdy. But um, he said, actually, the defensive tackles are the most important players in this game because in, in, in playing Brock Purdy, rather. And, you know, Moskarit is an edge rusher. He said, because, you know, one of our coaching points going into it was get your hands up because you can bat his passes. And he was saying even, and we had that in mind, even when we were like running games where, you know, you switch positions between the edge and the defensive tackle, just so important to get in front of him and be big. Um, and I think you really saw that in this game. Actually, uh, I just saw it from our stats and info group. Uh, when the chiefs defense created pressure from the interior, the Niners averaged less than two yards per play. Uh, which when they had pressure from the edge, the Niners averaged 9.1 <laughs> yards per play. Stark difference. And um, Mike, I thought Purdy did some good things in this game, particularly the, the scramble where he extended and hit Juszczyk, uh near the end of the game was really impressive. But I also thought he was clearly impacted by the size of the Chiefs' uh, pass rush at times.
1: Yeah, I think if there's one thing we come away from this postseason run, especially knowing for sure, it's that – And I think it's going to be interesting when we talk about what these teams do moving forward, because I think there's going to be a premium on the personnel that they potentially add along the interior of that 49ers Mm -hmm. offensive line. And we know with Kyle's offense, they like to do a lot of getting them on the perimeter. I thought the Chiefs D-line especially did such a great job. You saw multiple plays, George Karloftis, Chris Jones, both with discipline enough on the backside to recognize, hey, this is play action trying to wash us down the line and get in Brock Purdy's face to make him on." uncomfortable on the plays that are supposed to be there to help out a quarterback with a size disadvantage by moving the launch point and getting him on the perimeter but in most of the games in the playoffs where we saw the 49ers get down against green bay and against the detroit lions it was competent interior rushers and some of the situations that spags and that blitz forced the offensive line into from the neck up that gave them opportunities and free hits on a guy that yeah is is small. Like we saw it pop up in the cold when the wet game, when the 49ers played the Packers, like he's a smaller quarterback. He's got small hands. There's certain place those limitations are going to match up. He also made some really good plays with pressure being put right back in his face. So you and I were kind of texting about it. It's hard to really look at this and go, yeah, Brock Purdy lost them the game at any one juncture. He largely played pretty well, but this is one of the best defenses in the NFL. And at times they bared their teeth.
0: I think that that's, what's so tricky for the San Francisco 49ers performance is I don't really point to anything as being like the single biggest reason they lost this game. You could say, well, Wilkes Wilkes shouldn't have blitzed on third down there, or maybe if Purdy makes a few more plays under pressure, or I don't know, you know, there were there, or obviously they had the special teams, uh, the muffed punt as well, which is, you know, things are the missed extra point. Like there's there's a lot of little things you can point to, but it wasn't like one unit or one player to me was disappoint. Like just, it was obviously their fault. I'll extend that to Kyle Shanahan. I don't think anyone could watch this and say he called a bad game. You certainly couldn't say he didn't run the ball enough. They ran the ball a fair amount. I, I think um, in in the right situations, um, I guess there was a couple points where he could have been more aggressive, but he went for it on that one fourth down. Uh, I didn't think, I wasn't sure if he would, um, you know, I, I, I think maybe like the, taking the ball first, uh, would be the one thing in overtime. Like I, I, like I said, I would have taken it second. So you have the information, but this is not 28 to three by any means, even if they were up 10 points. Um, and by the way, speaking of mistakes, you know, like the, the final drive in overtime ultimately, um, well first, so they had a successful CMC run, then a second one that was blown up again by the chiefs defensive line that I thought was pretty impressive i think it was like wharton and they're they're big guys and then um the third down chris jones was lined up at edge mm-hmm. something that you know we talked about a lot they, they love to line him up on money downs on edge versus colton mckivitz and then he rushed purdy unblocked that was one where i was actually i was confused in real time the first of all not purdy's fault i was confused in real time as to what was happening with the protection what was your take watching that because chris jones arguably closed the game for kansas city there
1: he did, and he's good enough to do that on his own when he's blocked. We saw plenty of instances tonight where that was the case in matchups one-on-one with Trent Williams, but in yeah. that play went completely unblocked. And going back and look at it, I, I, I don't fully claim to know the protection rules on this one, but essentially how it worked was they were running a pop uh, protection with the center. So they had both the left guard and the left tackle come crashing down on the three technique and the Mike linebacker that was mugged up over the center. And they had the center back out and then go take the uh, defensive end. It, I don't. It's kind of mimicking a play action protection. You get an interior alignment pulling, maybe try and get a linebacker to start to look down a little bit. And then on the right side, you had at that point their backup right guard in the game. Um, Hmm. John Feliciano had gone down, so Spencer Burford wow. was in at right guard. And you saw him go crashing down, and it ended up being redundant. He went down and tried to check the linebacker at first and then peeled back late, while on the right side, you had uh, you had the right tackle, Colton McKivitz kind of throwing a hand on the three technique like he was expecting someone to be there because on the right side, you had George Kittle chip help on George Karloftis. He wasn't in the protection where he was staying in there. George was clearly, hey, I'm going to hit, give him a second, and then go out, which means somebody's got to be accounting for the defensive end. And it looked like that's where McKivitt's eyes were. He looks out of sorts, though, because he clearly felt nobody was with him there on the inside. So, uh, again, I want to say this is an educated guess because I don't know their protection. I don't know their rules in that specific spot. But based on context and what I do know, it seems like that was most likely a a bust on the right guard, which, again, you got a guy that's in there as the backup, wasn't expected to start of the game. And so all of a sudden the bullets are flying fast late against a defense led by Steve Spagnolo. And this is the thing that happens.
0: I think you're right because when you watch McKivitt's, uh he's looking at George Karlo- Karloftis and, and Kittle, to your point, is the outlet there uh, on the play um, after chipping. So, yeah, it's it is incredible how many Super Bowls you can – like the butterfly effect of a single offensive lineman injury and then suddenly – one thing leads to another, and Chris Jones is on third down, is getting to the quarterback, and yeah, and that's ballgame. It's crazy. I use, so That's the thing about Super Bowl. It's like so many little things, the missed extra point. The, and I know that's not comfort to Niners fans, but it it's in a close game. It really is things like that.
1: Well, think about how stupid this game was, where ultimately, Amina, this game swung on a botched punt return. Where the ball gleans off a special teams player's foot and Tony Romo tried to explain it on the call. So generally when there's a short punt, because you heard the crowd kind of react, it wasn't a great hit by the punter and it was coming short and you saw the punter pointing and yelling. And usually they're yelling Peter or poison, something to let everyone on the return team know, hey – peel off towards the sideline, like run away from this, get away because we don't want exactly what happened to happen on that play. But it's a, a, a difference of inches where it careens off his foot. And that's the chiefs touchdown that gets them kind of going at that point. You combine that with a mixed extra point And yeah, it's, you could look at that and say, Hey, special teams is a third of the game and you had two incredibly drastic negatives that happened at that spot versus on the other side. I don't know. Maybe it's just because there's more volume of plays, but it feels unfair to afford the same level of blame to the offense and defense, who I think largely played well enough to win.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm like, I know we started this pod weirdly by talking about, I was like the Niners defense is really good, but they were really good in this game. Um, I was really impressed with the run defense for it, which was going into this game. I thought, you know, it had been such a problem in the postseason. But I think one thing, uh, Dominique and I talked about this um, on the uh, preview pod on last Monday, and I think I probably should have pushed more importance on it. We were t- we were talking about how much the Niners' we, the run defense had struggled against Green Bay and Detroit on those um, runs off tackle, especially the pin and pull stuff, and. We were like, yeah, you know, the Chiefs' running, rushing attack is different, but they should still have success. Well, they didn't have success. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco only carried it 18 times for 20, 59 yards with a 27.8% success rate. That's not good. Uh, 14 of his 18 runs were between the tackles, so very different style of running game. And the Niners bowed up, so that wasn't working for them all night.
1: I do think that was the most interesting. And even the way the Chiefs started, you know, I, I don't think it was a trap. I think they might have been running counter at the beginning, and you saw the you know the defensive line for the 49ers get upfield, and they disrupted a lot. I think yeah. the thing that surprised me most was, well, one, you mentioned some of the pin and pull stuff. We saw that a couple times, but remember the Isaiah Pacheco fumble to start the second half was on a play that I believe was supposed to be a toss outside the tackles that yes. Mahomes just botched there. And that's one of those spots where I never discount, hey, if you're the Andy Reid is the offensive play caller. When a bad thing happens to a play that you might like, there is that tendency to sort of file it away. Like flip that on the other side. When we were an offense going against the defense, we're like, we know they've got a couple blitzes they want to get to early. And if you shut it down early, human nature is going to take over of a lot of defensive play callers where they're going to shuffle to the next one. They're going to say, all right, let's get rid of that one. They stuffed that up. They were ready for that one. And so for that to stop that there, I thought was impactful. I thought they were going to line up in 12 and 13 a lot more and just run inside zone, like run duo, let them lean on guys up front. Yeah. And I don't think we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot more light personnel, gun runs. They got heavy, I think, to throw down field more than they did run. And a lot of those, you know, Delayed you know, counter footwork in the backfield, slow developing softball runs got really gummed up at the line of scrimmage because the Niners defensive front was just aggressive as hell.
0: So I that was something that jumped out to me as well, because when they did run out of 13 personnel, they had success doing so. Um, it was a, a 50. They averaged 5.9 yards per carry, 57% success rate running with three tight ends on the field versus versus where. Uh, when they went light and tried to run the ball to your point, 2.3 yards per carry, only one successful run. It was not working for them. Um, Yeah. I, I, it felt like in the first half, Andy Reid really didn't have a lot of answers to be honest. I mean, you know, and there's a fumbles and, you know, whatever it's weird stuff happens, but um, I thought there would be more, you know, something I talked about, I thought they would have more success with jet sweeps. They had the one for the, uh, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth down conversion, but like they didn't really, I don't know. It felt like they were surprised by the physicality of the Niners defensive line in particular. Um, And yeah, I I was ready to um, say Steve Wilkes, everybody apologized to him. who was critical. (laughs) And, and I, you know, and the Niners defensive line, I mean, like some of the players I mentioned, Chase Young, but then you know, um, there was the weirdness, and uh, you know, kind of Mahomes. There was there was a couple points during the game where he, he kind of clearly just went into effort mode. I thought mm-hmm. where you know it was just like he was. Like, I'm just gonna do whatever it takes, whether it's scrambling or extending with my legs, and that I think proved to be the difference in the second half.
1: I think it it, it it was interesting to go back. I remember the first half was a largely pedestrian Mahomes half. That You're right. That was yeah. when it really looked like the 49ers were just bigger, faster, stronger at every position. You obviously had the Dre Greenlaw injury, which was – it felt big at the time. I don't feel like the Chiefs ever really did a ton to exploit that by and well, large. That, just
0: be- again, I thought they would get really heavy the whole yeah. game from that point on. I texted you. I was like, all right, here comes that 13 personnel, baby.
1: And they just never quite went with it. But I think what was big for Mahomes and that team and how they went about the rest of the game was that two-minute drive, where all of a yeah. sudden, and I I say this all the time, especially for young quarterbacks, a lot of times the two-minute drive is great because it just gets you out of your head. Like you practice it so much, so much of it is like signal, signal, go, get up to the line, tempo. You're just read and react a little bit more than pressing. And it felt like Mahomes and the Chiefs were pressing a lot in the first half. And I think that drive just kind of got them out of their heads a little bit. So when they yeah. had had to go back to some of those critical moments in the second half. The pass game out of spread formations was a lot more accessible than it had felt the vast majority of the season.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. It it, it, um, it took them a second to kind of get to some of their bread or butter concepts that had been working all year long. I think about how they had the back-to-back slants. I think they were both slants to Rice, for example. Um, you know, they couldn't because the screens just weren't working the Niners were all over them. Um, and, you know, and sometimes I feel like it, it really – it didn't feel like they were a different offense in the second half per se or that the Niners' defense was playing markedly worse. But it felt like, you know, they, they kind of – you and I talked about this. So many of the drives were getting killed on first down for them. And when that stopped – when they stopped falling behind the chains, you know, this because they're not an explosive offense, if you fall behind – Dead. Whether it's a bad play, a tackle for a loss, a penalty, whatever, a drop, and that was the case, I think, for much for the first half, certainly.
1: I, I laugh just because, and it, it, it's it's going to sound really cliche, but I think given how their offense operated, it's it's kind of relevant here. 2012 I played at Notre Dame we went undefeated we had a really good season that year largely led by a stellar defense and a very timely offense we weren't great statistically at anything but I remember Chuck Martin who's now the uh, head coach at Miami of Ohio was our OC and said our goal is to just get back to the line of scrimmage at least on every play like we can't afford negative plays at all and it sounds so base level but When you're an offense that needs what they need and needed what we need to succeed, that has to be the most important thing for you. And whether it was penalties or whether it was missed blocks or whatever, you're right, it was their first seven drives that Chiefs had four negative plays on first down and they absolutely buried them. They weren't able to get through it because the most dangerous matchup for the Chiefs in this entire game was their offensive tackles and a five-man pass protection or a six-man pass protection against these rush ends for the 49ers. And they were killing them in the first half because there were way too many any 3rd and eight, third 3rd and nine, third and 10 plus plays yeah. for them.
0: Um, I want to wrap this part by giving more love to the Chiefs defense because we've been talking about how good the San Francisco 49ers defense was. Uh, we've talked about Patrick Mahomes and his legs and some of the things they did and what happened in overtime, but the Chiefs defense is really what got them to this point through some of the lows of the season and came up so big in the second half, you know. In the fir- it was on the first drive. It really looked like, oh, Christian McAvery's going to run the ball at will on this team. Like they were, they were a sieve. Um, and you know, he still got his, and he ran the ball efficiently in this game. But you really saw that front seven. I mean, but also the DBs tackled oh. so well, and they tackled. They made so many big plays in this game. Forget- we'll get to the coverage aspect of it, but they were. Um, so impressive, I thought, as the game went on against some of the Niners' little toss actions, um, some of their screens, for example. And this is a Niners team. you know, I'm curious actually to see ultimately where they netted out with yards after the catch. But they are the Yak team of the NFL, and there were plays where they got, you know, they 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 picked up their usual yards after the catch. But I thought for the most part, the Chiefs did a pretty outstanding job of tackling
1: yeah I, I would agree at, at the beginning of the game and you know really that first three quarters when we were all kind of wondering like is juan jennings gonna end up being your mvp here because they were throwing a bunch yeah. of those layered concepts over the middle he obviously had the touchdown pass too but it was just sort of a testament to overall how even the performance had been for the 49ers where we were kind of struggling even towards the end of the game we Like, who gets yeah. the mvp if they end up winning this where there was no doubt on the other side but uh, i do think you're right that chiefs defensive front when you look at especially the big guys in the middle, like Mike Pinnell had a hell of a game against the run, stuffing it up front. Obviously, Chris Jones, George Karloftis had flashed a bunch against so the run good. during this postseason, especially. And so, all those guys deserve a ton of credit, especially late in the game, for just bowling balling their way through this 49ers offensive line. Leo Chanel,
0: my oh, guy. Yeah. That dude was Bill Barnwell's Bar- very own. I know. I wish I had kept Joan Jennings as my <laughs> X Factor from our live show. Um uh, you know, Mahomes obviously won MVP, not surprising, given you know he, he won the game for them in overtime. I do think before overtime, Trent McDuffie had a legitimate case for MVP. Uh, I mean, so he was my first team all-pro vote for because they added a slot corner category this year. It's not because I'm biased because he's a husky debut, but I don't know if the like, key to me is one of like the five defensive players in the NFL. I might enjoy watching the most right now. Um, just the physicality with which he plays some of his cover. He was incredible in coverage in this game. And then of course he um, had that one perfectly timed slot blitz that led to the incompletion. Um, which is something, you know, had been a hallmark of this Chiefs defense and something that Brock Purdy had shredded this year. But it was so well, I'm excited to go back and watch it on tape because it was so well disguised. Um, Yeah, he was outstanding in this game.
1: Next Gen Stats uh, said that that was uh, the 16th unblocked pressure this season generated by Trent McDuffie, five more than any defensive back in the NFL, which to your point is equal parts. Hey, Spags has some galaxy brain stuff and some great sense for when to throw things at it. But you're right. You look at so many of these and the body language, the tilt, all the things pre-snap. These guys are so savvy in how they disguise this stuff. We saw on the back end, the secondary did that little loop-de-loop cover two yeah. thing where they lined up in cover two and then it looked like they were going to have a rat hole guy and they circled back like all these guys are, are so smart and so savvy, which you have to be to present as much to opposing offenses as they're able to do with spags at the helm.
0: And that's, you know, I mean, Brock Purdy is a second year quarterback who, you know, I'd point at, at some point during the season, I had noted that one of the very few things that he chuckled at at times was versus disguised coverage. Whereas on the other hand, Mahomes, you had him hitting that whole shot when they went from Single high to uh, cover two, and he had, I forget, it was Watson, Justin Watson on the, the drive that sent them to overtime. Um, he saw him, he hit him on the corner on the whole shot.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. It, it is, you know, he's, let's end here. he, he <laughs> It's Patrick freaking Mahomes, man. Um, we're not ending here. Sorry. We're ending the game discussion here. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and talk about what's next for these teams. Why should you bet with Caesars Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just a nap. It's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states were prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. Affiliated with Harris Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or in Maryland, visit MD West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP, licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-711 seven New York, call 877 8 hope Y or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Okay, so the 2023 season is in the books. Ken C. G. says the Super Bowl champions. Now draft season begins. But before we get to draft season, and it really does begin like next week, I'm going to start talking about the draft. Um... I do want to take a second to talk about these two teams and what's next for them, which is something I did last week with some of the teams that had been eliminated. Obviously we'll do this all season, but um, you know, it's, I think a really fascinating time for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I want to start with them because. So we're going to talk about all the free agents and some of the decisions they have to make. They don't have that many decisions actually, but I think what's so tricky about this team, about this game, is about this coach who keeps getting so, so tantalizingly close and just can't win at all. Is I don't look at the team and say, Mike, obviously they need this. I mean, sure, it would be great if they had, an, if they could upgrade to a Patrick Mahomes level quarterback. But candidly, like, I, I don't know that there's going to be many options for them to upgrade from Brock Purdy next year, who I think played fine in this game. <laughs> like I wasn't watching that and thinking like, Oh, they one team has like a crappy quarterback. It wasn't my takeaway at all. So, and, or, and I don't look at them and think like, I mean, like there are things they could get better at offensive line is one of them. Although it was mm-hmm. ultimately like a backup guard. We talked about that. I think, you know, Purdy was pressured a lot. And if you have, a smaller quarterback, I I think that should probably be a priority for them, especially the interior of the offensive line to get better. But yeah, it's just, it's brutal because I don't like the, the, the defense played really well. We talked about it. Like I don't look at this team and think there's glaring holes or there's like a very obvious reason other than the fact that on the other side of the field is the best quarterback I've ever seen.
1: I was gonna say, to your point, Brock Purdy led the NFL in pass yards per attempt and passer rating this season. Worth noting, by the way, the last three quarterbacks to do that all all lost in the Super Bowl. The last three quarterbacks that I should say did that and played in the that Super led- Bowl. That wow. led the the last three quarterbacks that led the NFL in passer in pass yards per attempt and passer rating in the regular season and played in the Super Bowl all lost Matt Ryan in 2016, Tom Brady in 2007, Kurt Warner in 2001, and now Brock Purdy in 2023. So Matt Ryan, Matt I know Ryan it's
0: 2016,
1: which, you know, more, more of Kyle, you know, influence yeah. in that, but
0: uh, I just, uh, I, I felt bad for him. I did. I, there is probably no coach who has influenced this era of nfl football more than kyle shanahan can i can i say that is that true like look around the league man and he's so good and some of the play calls like we didn't even talk about the freaking double
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> the touchdown to McCaffrey on the throwback uh the, the, by juan jennings just yeah, which
0: i guess they ran in tennessee with him because he was a high school quarterback or something um
1: I saw um, Matt Fortuna tweeted that he was the highest rated high school quarterback that played in this game. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: incredible. <laughs> I was, yo Jennings. So the, um, uh, concepts, uh, uh, gosh, I wish I had the dots in front of me. Um, uh, they had, they, they had Kittle running a deep over and they did everything. This, they, they sold the over after the, um, the pass back the backwards the, the pass to Jennings. And, um, I thought like, no way, like no way he's going to make, cause it, that, that thing looked like it had disaster written all over it. Right? Cause he had pressure bearing down on him and he got that thing off. I would have actually really pushed for him to be MVP if he had gotten that off, but no, anyways. Yeah. Sorry. I interrupted. We're talking about Kyle Shanahan, and I, I'm just, I'm just sad. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: it, it, it it's, me tough. Out. it's tough because it, it's, it's not like there's a lot of pressure. And I heard the stat uh, that came up a lot during Super Bowl week that before Christian McCaffrey had come over, Kyle Shannon's record overall in San Francisco, I believe, had been under 500 because you had some of those injury blow up seasons in addition to the deep postseason runs. But You're right. He has been part of the coaching tree that is now reshaping the modern NFL in terms of creating an offense that is quarterback friendly. There is no one better in the league currently than that. And in this game, he did slay a lot of the demons in terms of, hey, you know, late game play calling, all these things that we had thrown in his face, even if he kind of lucked into it with the defensive holding that was gonna, you know, potentially end a drive where he did throw it like three straight times. But it's largely not his fault. And for the 49ers, it really is just, you ran into a force of nature. You're running into something that is all time. You're, you know, the Toronto Raptors, the perennial one seed running into LeBron James in the East for every year. And so, yeah, I, I think, especially given the opportunity they have, I think the thing we can talk about a lot, spinning it forward is next year's their last year of bargain bin Brock Purdy. I believe yeah. because of the league rules around when he, like his contract and the way it's structured, they can't actually extend him this off season, right? They have to wait till next year. Probably because we're so, drafted, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got one more year to figure out what are we going to do to make sure that we go all in on this, and and I guess like you know they're probably based on the vibes around Chase Young going into this game. That's probably not going to be someone they re signed to a free agent deal, at least any one of any significant monetary value. So. Getting another pass rusher opposite Nick Bosa to help take the pressure off him, certainly a priority if you don't bring him back. And then shoring up the interior offensive line like we talked about. If you want to try and go all out on getting another stud there since you've got your one in Trent Williams on the other side. But then everyone else is largely good players, not great players. But besides that, it's hard to really invent a ton of areas where they need to improve. They just ran into Pat.
0: Yeah, I think offensive line is should be probably the main priority, especially given what we've been talking about with Purdy and interior pressure and the a lot of the deficiencies of the offensive line were covered up this season by Purdy's quick release. Uh, no doubt um, you know the, his ability to throw accurately on time. Uh, the scheme helped as well. But I think you saw that vulnerability, obviously in key moments like the Chris Jones pressure that we talked about, was miscommunication that's backup involved, whatever. But like, um, you know, I think there were moments in this game where it occurred to me like, okay, if Brock Purdy is going to be your quarterback moving forward, you do need to address this. Which isn't to say it's like some glaring weakness of his. All quarterbacks need uh, offensive line protection. It just there were a lot of moments where it just uh, stood out to me that he. He almost had to like leave his feet a couple of times to get the ball yeah. over, you know? And I think, so I, that's what I would prioritize. They, they don't have much cap space, uh, but they don't have many free agents. Chase Young, Kinlaw, Sean Gibson, Jawan Jennings. <laughs> oh, um, they have a lot of free agents in 2025. Uh, the list is long. Eric Armstead, Chavarius Ward, Drake Inlaw, Ayuk, uh, Hufanga, Lenoir, McKibbitts, Tom, it's like you have to deep, but that's, you know, you're going to have to figure out who you're going to prioritize out of that group, but that's a problem for another day. And then obviously Brock Purdy, God, that contract debate's going to be oh. hell on earth. Hell oh. on earth. If but you anyways, thought 2023
1: was toxic, wait till 2025.
0: Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the things you have to do for your roster this year are manageable. But to your point, because this is, you know, his cheap year. I do think you have to go all in, do whatever it takes. You should win the NFC again. I'll pick you. I'm going to pick you. I already know now. Probably. I don't know. Actually, give me a second to think about that. I might pick the Lions. I don't know. But point is you should go all in. Um, so you're going to have to work the cap a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel bad. I feel, I I, I don't know why. I, I mean, I know why. Um, it's just gotta be heartbreaking. Not just for Niners fans, but for, you know, Kyle Shanahan in particular.
1: I wonder if we get and I don't, you know, know how they'd pull this off, but like whatever their version is of like the burn the boats, Rams from two years ago, Bucks from a couple years ago, where it's just you try and mortgage everything. Because it's when you were listening off all those free agents, and the fact that if Brock Purdy plays this way again, I don't, I genuinely don't know what you do with that contract. If he does this for another year in this yeah. offense, I, I don't know how you sit there and call his bluff if you're that team. And so you go from having like the highest-paid player at what four or five positions between offense and defense to now all of a sudden having to start to do what the Kansas City Chiefs have done is have the youngest defense in the NFL because you gave your quarterback half a billion dollars.
0: I think what makes the Brock Purdy contract situation so tricky is, you know, people compare him to Jared Goff, right? Like, oh, Matthew Stafford or Sean McVay decided he wanted to upgrade from Jared Goff because he wasn't a playmaker. He's not mobile. But Brock Purdy is a playmaker. Um, He's a second-year quarterback. He's probably going to get better. So I guess that's maybe where we can leave this, which is they have time to figure it out. They can see if he can improve next season, improve on a season that was undeniably impressive, statistically very impressive. Now, I think what will, you know, he was surrounded by very, very talented players, but he's going to be next year. I think what is complicated is at some point they're going to be less talented, but, you'll already have to have made a decision about him before then. So it's not like you're going to get get to see, okay, well, I guess you could see when they were injured or whatever, some of those players, and maybe they'll get injured next year. All things considered, they were pretty healthy. But yeah, it's, it's imperfect information. I genuinely don't know how it plays out. I guess all I'll say is he's not why they lost this game.
1: No, he's not. And quite frankly, if the guy that shows up for them that showed up in the la- second half of pretty much every playoff game they played this season shows up next year on a consistent basis, he's you're going to be able to point to him and say, I mean, he's a big part of the reason why, with his legs against Detroit, with his arm against Green Bay, why they won those games yeah. despite being down in the first half.
0: Yeah, if they had won, we would have pointed to the the scramble where he hit Juszczyk. It was a great play. Um, okay. Well, on the other side, at, at right after the game, one of the first things Patrick Mahomes said was, We are a young team, <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> be back here. With Jesus Christ, you, <laughs> but he's right, it's the youngest defense in the NFL. Now, that said, um, they do have some notable free agents, most significantly, the guy that. We, you and I just said closed out this game on defense. He also forced the pressure that was the overthrow, it would have been a touchdown to Debo. I mean, he had a number of it's, it's tackles for Laws. Yeah, Chris Jones, you are a Seattle Seahawks. No, I don't <laughs> um, It feels like he's probably gone, right? So that's and and but but Chiefs fans, um, like you're young. I mean, Felix and – had a big TFL in this game out of nowhere. Uh, but Carl um, Loftus appears to be like a total hit. Obviously, though, losing Chris Jones would be massive for that defensive line. So that's something that they would have to address if they don't find a way to keep him. I mean, you know, they can, they'll probably do a Mahomes extension and rip up some contracts and and maybe, maybe, but he doesn't strike me as a player. He He, he wants to maximize his earnings, so.
1: Especially, I mean, think back to the start of the season. I mean, the guy, I mean, literally missed the first game missed missed the first game of the season out there. So in, in that effort, you sorry, you got me really distracted thinking about him as the Justin Matabike upgrade in Mike McDonald's defense in Seattle, and my brain almost exploded. So uh Oh, God, that is tantalizing. But, yeah, it's – I don't know. I, I go back and forth on this because so many of those other guys up front benefit from the gravity of a Chris Jones. He is so yeah. much more singularly talented than any other player that they've got up front. And also size-wise, like a lot of those other guys, like, you know, Mike Pinnell, who we shouted out there as a tank against the run, really no doesn't show up in the pass game at all. And the rest of you guys you mentioned, Anya Dike Izama's really – long and shifty but he's undersized George Karloft is not the biggest guy in the world and so you got a guy that can do so much for you out there and Chris Jones and like we've talked about you put him all over the defense he's the chess piece up front for Spags in the way that, you know, we've talked about with Trent McDuffie on the back end and all the places they move him sort of as the Kyle Hamilton proxy in that defense. So I don't want to downplay that while coming off the first game, we said, oh, it seemed like they missed Travis Kelsey a lot more than they missed Chris Jones. That guy is one of the two, three most important players in that defense on any play. So if he's gone, that presents a massive challenge, but you've got one of the greatest defensive architects in NFL postseason history that's calling the shots there. So
0: (laughs) I mean, I, God, what an advantage it is for this Kansas City team that they continue to bring Steve Spagnolo back as their defensive coordinator. Didn't get any head coaching looks. And he actually, I think he was asked about it. I was like, yeah, I'd like to be a head coach again, which I was like, really? Because <laughs> no one, you're, you kind of, you and Mike McDonald sort of won this season on that side of the ball. Jim Schwartz had a big year as well, but like, no, but there was no rumors about that. But, It's it's a massive edge for them, not just because of his individual game planning brilliance, but because he now has had the opportunity to coach all of these young players we've been talking about. Um, Something that Andy Reid, we had him on NFL Live for the (laughs) schedule release show. And um, something he mentioned to me when I asked him about the defense and how they were really playing together well, well, at the end of the last season, and whether I thought that would continue into this season, he was like, yeah, our linebackers haven't gotten to play together yet. We've got a full off season and they're going to play together. And when I look at this defense and I think about like how, like the health, the continuity, the youth, and then the coaching, it really manifests itself on the field. Um, You know, they blitz like crazy. They they blitz pretty on like over 50% of dropbacks. But when you watch the blitzes, um, the The way that they tie the rush with the coverage, the disguise we talked about the disguised McDuffie blitz, they're so well coached. Um, and it yeah. So like when we spin this ahead to next year, yes, losing Jones hurts, and there's a couple other players, um, Noddy who's injured, Tranquil, Mike Edwards. There's a few players who are free agents. We'll see who they can bring back. But other than Jones, I think your core players remain the same this young secondary remains the same uh and you are seeing like carloftis was a hit you know the leo chanel had a huge game so it's hard not to be optimistic about this unit being excellent against next season
1: no completely agree it's and so for the Chiefs in that vein too it'll be interesting because defense feels like all right you did the job which was when you pay your quarterback you've got to hit on a bunch of young guys back there you've got two legitimate stars in Sneed and Trent McDuffie who are both I think uh Sneed just turned 27 McDuffie's obviously even younger than that so it, it kind of makes me wonder what they're going to do offensively. Cause I think Donovan Smith's a free agent for them and they could do to upgrade in at least one of the tackle spots. They already paid Juwan, uh, Juan Taylor. So that's probably uh, going to remain intact over there. But those were the ones, I mean, interior wise, you've got one of the best interiors when healthy in the NFL, legitimate studs, uh, you know, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are both going to be due for a payday soon. And that's going to be a conversation, but I, uh, I, I do think, you know, tackle. And then we know the receiver room much maligned this season are both good to continue to be a priority.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they address receiver whether, so so I I should have prefaced this by saying the chiefs actually do have a little bit of cap space. They're about average over $20 million. And like I said, there's some contracts that they can restructure. Um, now they want to have cap space if they bring back Chris Jones. So we'll see how that shakes out, but I'll be interested in seeing what they do at wide receiver. Also like the kind of wide receiver that they go after is I think we all assume speed you bring back a burner so that you're not leaning on MVS and Hardman um down the road. But and and we've just seen so many young, talented wide receivers in the draft. But I don't know. I mean I I like Rasheed Rice a lot. He's a really good player. I don't yet know if I see him as A number one, I still think you probably want like a big bodied X receiver for Patrick Mahomes. So if that's possible, I think that would be great, but I don't know if it's possible.
1: It's, in, it's, it's interesting because I, I'm with you. That's probably the case, and you're probably right about Rasheed, even though he operated as their number one this year. It does seem like Andy is so thirsty for a good gadget player, though. Like, we saw so many of those jet handoffs die on the vine. That's what they brought Tony over to be. They brought McCole Hardman. And listen, Tony was one of the players that helped win it on gadgets around the goal line last year. Hardman obviously has the walk-off touchdown this year, but... Uh, it's not the most pressing need, but it does seem to be part of Andy's kink. And so I'm wondering if there'll be anyone in a wide receiver class that's got a lot of dudes in it. Like there are a lot of legitimate studs outside of, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze that we talk about as the true one guys who are likely going to be off the board before Kansas City can do anything.
0: I think because this receiver draft is so good, even picking at the very end, they still have their pick, I think, right? Yeah, they didn't trade or anything there's probably going to be someone really good still there. Like there's probably going to be better wide receiver options in the late first and second round. So you look, you look what happened.
1: I'm, I'm just looking down at the wide receiver list for this year. Like there's a couple of sites that have like, like Keon Coleman hanging around there at that point, Xavier worthy and 80, M- Mitchell would be the oh, interesting yeah. one on a Texas oh. burner. Like, he I was would there- love
0: 80 Mitchell in this oh, offense. Man. Would love it. Um, The Chiefs unsurprisingly have opened as the favorites to return to the Super Bowl. <laughs> hey, you uh, know what?
1: I, I will give you your flowers. I gave you some grief about this, but when a lot of people were dumping water out of the Chiefs' bin, you did bravely say that they would go on and do great things like this. So you stood up and were so brave and said something so bold.
0: I courageously stood by the greatest quarterback of our generation. <laughs> People doubted me, but I, I never, I never lost hope. Even when Kadarius Tony was actively sabotaging football games, I stood by and, them.
1: And going on IG live and actively maybe sabotaging his own career.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you this, though. I did say, like, I'll probably pick the Niners to return, and you know they're they're both the favorites to come back. Who do you think is the let's Let's do this. Who would you say is the biggest in your mind? The way too early biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC? And who do you think is the biggest threat to the Niners in the NFC right now? Right now.
1: I mean, AFC, I would probably still say Buffalo like on their best. Now it's going to be contingent on I think, them retooling some things on defense, but like mm-hmm. think about how they, the position they were in at the end of the season compared to how they were at the beginning. Like that was broken down and Josh Allen did the super sand thing. The Bengals are super intriguing because you're going to get Burrow back automatically and be a lot better than you were, but
0: <laughs> maybe no, maybe no Higgins though.
1: Maybe no Higgins. Like I'm just concerned. Like Baltimore should absolutely be in that conversation, but I do want to see. All right, what's the defense look now that you lost Mike McDonald, who is an absolute value add? You still got freaks all over the place there. Matt Abike is going to get his bag either there or somewhere else, and so I, I don't know. I it should you know what? Let me phrase it. It should be Baltimore. It should be Baltimore in the AFC. I'm going to go with that one. NFC. Right, look at that. What? Man. It should probably be Detroit, but, man, seeing the way the Rams played by the end of last season, I'm fascinated to see what that team becomes. If they can add, like, one more star pass rusher on that team and maybe a little bit more help on the back end, they were getting cooked at corner a little bit by the end of the year. No, it wasn't them. It was uh, obviously going to be Detroit. But either way, like, they're a few pieces away on that defense, but offensively, they're going to be a monster next year.
0: Yeah, they're really scary. The Rams are a great choice. I think – It's probably between them and Detroit, although Green Bay, too, is fascinating. I'll probably go to Detroit just because they they were so close. And um, I have to look at their cap situation, but I do think that they largely returned the nucleus because they're so young as well. Um, And I think they're going to do whatever it takes to go all in and get better. And the fact that they were able to retain their coaching staff is just insane. So. Wait, who did you think for the AFC? I don't think I. Think oh, Baltimore. I, I got Baltimore. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Although, ah, uh, this the brain drain, the talent drain, that's they're up against it for sure. That team got pillaged this offseason.
1: Largely I, defensively, I, though, right? Like, it won't be like the Eagles yeah. last year, for example, as the Super Bowl loser that lost everybody. And now I saw her, Sasana Reddick was asking for permission <laughs> for a trade. Like, yeah, the I vibe got scary around there quick. At the very least, you're going to have Lamar Jackson back with Todd Munkin again next year and some continuity and an offense that took decided steps forward.
0: I saw Reddick asking for a trade on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, who knows when he actually asked for it, but um, I respect it. I respect it. It's it's actually not a look at me Louie move. It's a I don't I'm not trying to lead, you know.
1: Yeah, Sunday news dump.
0: Just you know, Aaron Rodgers would never ask for it on Super Bowl. Although he actually wait, I say that. He asked for his trade or the news broke, pardon me, on draft night. So but then he was like upset. I don't know, whatever. I don't want to impute who who with the timing of it. Um yeah. I'll still go Baltimore and Detroit. I mean, that's oh the teams that made at the furthest, but um, yes, and I and I will still pick San Francisco and Kansas City to get back there. So, Niners fans, I'm really sorry, but no, this. I don't think you choked, so you have that going for you.
1: Patrick Mahomes coming into tonight eight and two in his playoff career when the chiefs trailed by seven or more points, no quarterback to start 10 or more games in the postseason had even had a 500 record in that particular situation. You ran into a force of nature. There is at some point you just kind of look up and go, man, they got him and that's good enough.
0: Well, that actually brings me to something was sent my way that. So at the very beginning, we talked about Kyle Shanahan's decision to um, take the ball and the consequent information asymmetry and Chiefs, they, they stop them. The, the Chiefs probably hold San Francisco to a field goal. Then they know that they have all four downs, score a touchdown, that they need to, you know. Um, Kyle Shanahan, after the game, said that they elected to take the ball because if the game had been tied, it goes to sudden death and they would have had the ball. Which is something I did. We didn't mention at the beginning, of course. So, so there, there, that logic. There's definitely we talked about the def not your, maybe your defense being tired being the reason. That there's logic to that. However, you're betting that you can stop Patrick Mahomes. I think that's, you know, I mean, you you would have to stop him anyways, obviously. But you're you're betting that you can stop Patrick Mahomes with four downs.
1: Do you think, and because we're learning about this, limited sample size with this new overtime, right, obviously yeah. in this space, and you mentioned first
0: It's the only time.
1: So, and with Patrick Mahomes as the only quarterback on the other side, do you think because of this, we'll see more teams opt to say, hey, we want to, you know, get the ball second, or will most teams look and say, hey, 31 other teams don't have Patrick Mahomes, and so if you're not playing him or Burrow or Lamar or one of those guys, Do you think there might still be some teams that strategically say we'd rather have the ball in terms of the tie?
0: I think it's really going to be game to game, team to team, whether it's going to play a huge role in this. Um, Yeah, so our colleague Seth Walder, who uh, does a great job doing analytics for ESPN, surveyed a bunch of analytics departments around the league and got like a 50-50 split. It was wildly different results, um, which, by the way, suggests that it's a good system because what the league wanted was they didn't want the repeat of Allen Mahomes, obviously, where one quarterback doesn't get the chance. And I think ideally you want a decision that's not obvious. And it truly seems like this is not obvious. I would still take the ball second and, um, and then, you know, maybe go for two to win, but you know, it, it's, I don't think it's entirely obvious. I think it really depends on the strength of your unit versus theirs. And, um, yeah, the weather,
1: God, the ball second and go for two to win. You really have appeared on first take a lot. You just want to watch the world burn on a Monday near you, don't you?
0: Can you imagine? Ah. I actually, if if he, if they had scored, even though I'd I would do it, I wouldn't want them to do it because l- just the takes and it would just be too oh, the, much.
1: The discourse would have been absolutely night. Nice. If if we took Dan Campbell the task. For that game, I can only imagine what we do in the effing Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan as the actor.
0: Oh, God, or Reed. Yeah, yeah. well, no bad actors here. Uh, Michael Jr., thank you so much for joining me to recap uh, what what ended up being a pretty damn exciting Super Bowl. Um, You guys can check out uh, Michael Jr. on Go Joe and Golick. That's what it's called now, right? Gojo yep. and Kulik, Yes, I got it right. Yes. Um, excellent podcast. Sometimes I'm on from now and then. Um, also, you can check it out on YouTube. As you can check out this podcast if you're listening to it on YouTube at youtube.com slash at Meaning Times. Uh, we are going to be back next week and start draft season with Field Yates. Also, a little bit of uh, a little bit of an announcement. Uh, starting this week on Valentine's Day. <laughs> My friend David Dennis Jr. and I are going to be recapping Love is Blind on YouTube. And uh, your girl's already seen the first nine episodes and they're amazing. So,
1: <laughs> all right, I'm going to openly politic for an appearance on this at some point because yeah. I know you have seen some of these episodes mm. and it, the little nor- morsels I've gotten from you have me very excited.
0: Those will be on YouTube. This show's on YouTube. Um, and of course, uh, if you're listening to it, it's available as a podcast. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in this season. It's been a fun one. Um, I am taking the second episode of this week off, where we're we're going down to one episode a week in the off season. So the next episode will be the following week. Uh, and oh, one more thing, thank you to everyone who joined us in Las Vegas for the live show. Really appreciated all of you coming. Uh, at one point in the game, I very much so regretted not making juwan jennings my firm commitment as an x-factor but yeah it was a really fun time and i enjoyed meeting you all so until next week